turn to page 964. We are going to be starting a new series today looking at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. So there are some lyrics of some songs that have, have had an impact on our culture because of what was going on in that time. There are certain songs that have just kind of lived on for, for generations. One such song starts out like this, and I want to see if you can finish maybe the next line. War. Huh. Oh, wow! I didn't even have to go any farther than that. War. Huh. What is it good for? Say it again. Yeah, there you go. So there, there's songs like that. You know, it goes on as it gets into the chorus. Uh, oh, war I despise because it means destruction of innocent lives. War means tears to thousands of mothers' eyes when their sons go to fight and lose their lives. This, this song, during the time of the Vietnam War, was one of the strongest protest songs during that time. It was an anti-Vietnam War song written by Norman Whitefield and recorded by him and the Temptations back in 69. It didn't kind of get its, its thing going until 1970, until Edwin Starr released it as a single in 1970. But it became the most successful uh, protest song of the 20th century, holding the number one chart position for three weeks. It spoke into that time and that situation, the pain of life. But we find that not only with anti-war songs or other pop music songs that are speaking to our, our lives, but it, it seems to be when there's tension or pain or struggle or doubt that often has a way of making all of us ask that same question that Eddie Starr asked, what is it good for, right? Some of you who have gone through tension, pain, relational, physical kind of pain, you find yourself in those moments going, what is it good for? And you kind of want to say, absolutely nothing. What is this good for? Why am I going through it? So today we are going to start going through second, the book of 2 Corinthians and answer some of these questions. You are going to find that the Apostle Paul is asking these questions. What, what is the purpose of suffering? What is the purpose of pain? How can we go through this? And the reason why is because when the Apostle Paul wrote this book around 55, 56 uh, A.D., he was dealing with some very tough, difficult situations. We're going to kind of see this even as a, a central theme for 2 Corinthians in, because Paul is going to be sharing with us that there is a relationship between suffering and power of the Spirit in Paul's, even his apostolic life, in his ministry, and in his message. Paul was up against some very tough opponents there in Corinth who questioned, who questioned his motives and even questioned his own personal courage. They argued that this guy, the Apostle Paul, had suffered way too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. 
Paul, you have just gone through way too much to even be valid as an apostle. But Paul argues that his suffering, his weakness, is the very means that God uses to reveal His glory. Strength in weakness. Throughout this letter, Paul turns, will be turning upside down ours, our view of the world's expectations of the way that life works. We love health, right? We love positions of strength and power. We all crave for it. We, we crave for financial security. We crave for and work for and feel great when relational security is all in place. We love it when we are healthy, right? We feel great, but the moment that it gets turned upside down, we, we struggle. And contrary to what the world and our own human hearts believe, God takes what is low, what is despised, and what is weak to accomplish His purposes. 2 Corinthians tells us that comfort comes through affliction. He tells us that sufficiency comes through insufficiency. He he tells us that life comes through death. That blessing comes through suffering. That salvation comes through grief. That, uh, that abundance even comes through, it makes no sense, but abundance comes through poverty and boasting through hardship. So why, why, why would I start off the beginning of the year with a book like this that talks about suffering and this, this strange paradox that is going on. Why would we do that? Well, we as a congregation are called to pursue our calling to make disciples of all nations. And, and, and it, it even starts right here, making disciples right here. And we should be encouraged that that natural eloquence, that impressive resumes, and even sparkling educations are not required, are not required for the Spirit to move in power. Hear that. You do not need a master's degree in theology for the Spirit of God to work powerfully in and through you. You do not need to have a massive retirement account or have a job that, that brings in, in six figures or seven figures or even three figures for God to work powerfully in and through you. And so we are going to be looking at this second letter to the church in Corinth My prayer is that it is going to be speaking into our individual and our corporate situations. And I pray that the book of 2 Corinthians is going to open up our minds to what God has planned for us here in Manhattan, the Lincoln Way area, and in concentric circles going on out. So my friends, would you stand for the reading of 2 Corinthians chapter 1? We are going to be 
hearing from God's holy and inerrant word, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 11. Hear his word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. I love that right there, right? For your comfort and, what was that word? Salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that you share in our sufferings, that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Tim Keller, in one of his books, starts, has this quote. Suffering seems to destroy so many things that give life meaning that it may feel impossible to even go on. So begins a book by Tim Keller on suffering. He goes on to describe his father's last days on earth. And he says this, In the last days of his life, my father faced a great range of life-ending, painful illnesses all at once. He had congestive heart failure and three kinds of cancer, even as he was dealing with a gallbladder attack, emphysema, and acute sciatica. At one time, he said to a friend, What's the point? He was too sick to do anything that made his life meaningful. So why go on? And that's a good question. 
when we get whammed, not just whammed, but when we get double and triple kind of whammed from each and every side all around us, what, it, what hope really is there in this life? And some of you have probably experienced this in different ways, whether it be emotional, relational, marital, raising your children, financial, you name it, your health. Your being, you feel like you are attacked on every side. What kind of hope is there? What, what hope is there when we seem to lose hope? And, and I don't ask this question out of just general curiosity. If I have any qualification for talking about suffering, it's because I personally, too, have suffered. I have experienced relo- relational, emotional, spiritual pain. Like many of you, I've become very acquainted with pain. And I'm not talking about just physical pain. But for some of you, it may be physical pain. I've faced long periods of just intense emotional, relational pain where I have found myself with more questions than I have had answers. And so have many of you as well. We're not alone. The man who wrote these words that we have just read knows what it means to suffer well. Listen again what he said in verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt like we have one version says that we we felt that we have received the sentence of death so if anybody knew what suffering was like it was the apostle paul when paul became a follower of christ jesus appeared to a man named ananias and this is what he said to ananias in acts chapter 9 i will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's what God said to Ananias about Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So right from the beginning, Paul, if you will, Paul was screwed. He was destined for a life of suffering. So later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul would describe some of what he went through. Listen to this with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many countless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, of all of the churches. This is the man who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament talking about his suffering. So what we have here is not an ivory tower theologian 
writing some kind of dissertation about the, the pain of suffering, Paul was a man who lived in suffering. He knew exactly what suffering was like. He was there. And in verses 8 and 9, he refers to this affliction, this pain, this suffering that he experienced while he was in Asia. We're not exactly sure what the exact affliction is, but we know whatever this man faced, it caused him to feel burdened beyond his strength. Next time that somebody comes up to you and says that God will not give you more than you can handle, throat punch them, and then tell them, have you read anything by the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul says, we were utterly burdened, utterly burdened beyond our strength. Know this, God frequently gives us more than we can handle. Do not believe any other lies. God gives us more than we can handle. And Paul was so overwhelmed that he even despaired of life itself. He couldn't see a way forward. It was dark. He felt like he was done for. He was completely helpless. He was, it was like he was awaiting death. There was a sentence, he felt like there was a sentence of death. At any moment, it's going to be over. It was that heavy. In other words, Paul didn't just face sufferings, but he faced the hopelessness that comes with suffering, which is even worse. It's one thing to feel pain. It's one thing to feel a disconnect. But it's a whole other thing to feel hopelessness. A total lostness. It's horrible to suffer. What's even worse is when you feel your soul crumble under the weight of suffering so that you begin to despair of life itself. The reality is, in a room like this, there have been many of you who have questioned, is this life worth living? And to be vulnerable requires a, a tremendous amount of courage. It would be difficult for us to kind of raise our hand and say, yeah, I have thought about, and I've been to the point of no return. I've looked at the pills. I've held the gun. I've looked at the razor. And I've, I've despaired of life. And if that's how you're feeling today, then I want you to know that you are in good company. One of the things that I've, I've noticed is that we sometimes tend to feel very guilty when we're suffering. Uh, there, there are some twisted views of Christianity that claim that we should never suffer and that we, that we should never feel let down. I, I don't know where we, those people have gotten those ideas. It is uh, an anti-Bible uh, an anti-Christian idea. The Bible is very honest about suffering. It's part of life. Some of God's 
uh, choice of servants went through unbearable kind of suffering. So you are not alone. So what can we learn from the Apostle Paul as a church, so for the sake of mission, for the sake of the glory of God, what can we learn about suffering as a church? I, I don't want to want for a minute to suggest that I have any real easy kind of just quick apply these kind of answers because that, that's ridiculous. When someone is suffering, the right thing to do is just simply to be present with a person, to be in the moment with them, and to even simply weep with the person. We are to mourn with those who mourn. So biblical truths are always true, always true. But it's not like we can just quote a Bible verse to someone and suddenly they are fixed and like, oh, my depression is gone. I don't know what you just did. That was amazing. I'm no longer suffering from pain, but that was amazing. I do, however, have some rock-solid truths that we can cling to in the middle of our suffering that are written not by just some guy who is... uh, writing theory, but as from a man who is a fellow sufferer who knew what it felt like to despair. So I'm going to give you three truths that we find in 2 Corinthians 1 through uh, 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Three truths that we can kind of hold on to, cling to in the midst of our suffering. And here's the first one. God is a compassionate and an encouraging God. That is who he is. Paul writes in, in verses three and, uh, in verse three in the first part of verse four, he says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all what? Comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Man. Paul Paul has just been bruised by by his recent sufferings. And what what does he turn to? Paul, Paul turns to the reality of who God is. It's easy in the midst of our suffering to turn to the pain and the despair of our moment, the reality of where I find myself. But Paul, in the moment of his despair, in the moment of his pain, his suffering, he turns to the reality of who God is. God is compassionate. He's compassionate and he's encouraging. Our hope is not in our circumstances and and it's it's not even in the people that surround us. Our hope cannot be in your your children, your spouse, your best friends, your roommate. That's not where our hope is ultimately found. Our hope is grounded in the very nature of God himself. And Paul starts off saying, listen, he is the father of mercies and he is the God of all comfort. So one of the things we're left wondering when we're suffering is where is God? Where is he in the midst of my my pain? And it's easy to think that God is this distance distant, far off, somewhat disconnected kind of God from where we are in the reality of our life. If you are God and you are omnipresent, why are you not here in the midst of my pain? Would you just kind of microwave fix whatever is going on right here? And that's kind of our desire. And we keep asking, where are you in the midst of it? 
And here's, here's the lie that we are tempted to believe. God doesn't care. It's, it's, it's sometimes like God has abandoned us to our problems. Paul comes right back at us in this passage with the very nature of who God, God is. This just isn't what God does. It is who God is. God does just dispense comfort. He doesn't just dispense mercy. He is the God of comfort. He is the God of mercy. He, that is who He is by nature. He is the God of all these things. He has deep awareness of and, and a deep concern for our suffering. He is also a God who knows how to comfort and how to console. The word comfort here isn't just this kind of idea of saying, here, here, I, I feel your pain. That's not what's going on here. It is the act of strengthening those who need it. David Garland, David Garland, in one of the commentaries I read, said this, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. That's what God does. So you may wonder in the middle of suffering if God really cares. And Paul assures us, yes, he does. He has not abandoned you to what you're going through. He knows. He cares. Nothing that you are going through has escaped God's watch. That's why we can take comfort in Psalms like Psalm 56. Listen to this. It says this. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What does that tell you about the character of our God? He knows exactly how many tears you have cried. As a balding man, I also know he knows how many hairs I may or may not have. But this takes it another step, right? He keeps track of your tears. God pays careful attention to every restless night that you have had. And some of you have had multiple restless nights. God pays attention to every tear you, sh you shed. God isn't distant. God cares. So, and the greatest evidence that we can see in this is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? He cares. If you're ever looking for evidence that God really cares, then all you have to do is look at Jesus Christ. He did everything. He did everything to take care of our suffering or our future suffering. He, he did everything right with God, including becoming one with us. He, he condescended and gave His life for us. We never have to wonder if God cares or not. He has shown us that He actually does. God is compassionate. God is encouraging. God is present. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing that we can see. 
the suffering that we face is actually purposeful. One of the problems with suffering is that it feels useless. Suffering. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. It feels like we're kind of in this routine, this circle, this cycle. Why do I have to go through this again? What is it good for? It feels like it accomplishes nothing other than adding to my depression and my worthlessness and my hopelessness. It, it's, it, if we thought that it served a purpose, then suffering would be a lot easier. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, quoting Nietzsche in a sermon, Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Let me say that again. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. If we knew why we were going through suffering, it would be much better to deal with the how. So we've already seen one purpose in suffering. And Paul says in verse 9, right? Indeed, we, we, we feel like, we feel like what? We felt like we have received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering has a way to help us to realize how limited our resources really are. We live in a North American culture where we feel like we have resources abundant. Even if you look at your bank account and think, man, I don't, I don't have much. Our North American culture says, yeah, you have. And the reality is we have so much. But suffering has a way of making us feel like our resources really are limited. We are meant we are meant, from our creation, we are meant to rely on God and not on ourselves. You are, you are supposed to rely on God. Suffering teaches us that. It has a way of kind of resetting our lives, refocusing back on God. Suffering has a way of just saying, hey, you don't have it all, do you? A.W. Tozer said, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. I love that. How completely satisfying to turn from our limitation, to turn from our limitations, to turn to a God who has absolutely no limitations. That, my friends, that, that is the God that, that we serve, the God that we love, the God who has saved us. He is the God without any, any limitations. And so in verses 4 to 6, Paul gives us a, another purpose behind our suffering. When we're encouraged by God in the middle of harsh situations, it allows us, suffering allows us to encourage others who need it. Look, look at verse, start at verse 4. So this is the God of, of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, so that, if you're a circler, an underliner, a highlighter, so that 
we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we are, which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Your suffering has a gospel purpose. It's it's for a purpose. Charles Spurgeon once preached from the text, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The saying of Christ on the cross, right? And as he preached it, he shared some of his own personal experiences. This is what he said. I heard my own chains clank while I tried to preach to my fellow prisoners in the dark but I could not tell why I was brought into such a horror of darkness for which I condemned myself. On Monday, which is typically the day that pastors get emails and disgruntled phone calls, he was visited by a man who came to see him. And it was obvious that this man was going through, after hearing the sermon, was going through a very rough time. And this is what this man said to Spurgeon. I never before in my life heard any man speak who seemed to know my heart. Mine is a terrible disease. But on Sunday morning, you painted me to the life and preached as if you had been inside of my soul. Spurgeon concluded and said this, By God's grace, I saved that man from suicide and led him into the gospel light and liberty. But I know that I could not have done it if I had not myself been confined in the dungeon in which he lay. I tell you the story, brethren, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience and the perfect people may condemn you for having it. But what know they of God's servants? You and I have to suffer much for the sake of the people of our charge. Do you know what God is going to do most? Do you know how God is going to work most powerfully in your life? It's not going to be through you making major coin and having a huge extravagant house. God is going to work most powerfully, I believe, in our weaknesses, in our sufferings. Because it's in those pained, weak, suffering moments where God chooses to work most powerfully. Because you have walked through those periods of trial and pain and suffering, you will be prepared to help other people who are, have gone through similar pain, struggles, and suffering. The hard things you go through will become something that God uses to bless other people. And I want to tell you, count on it. As I have shared publicly, 
in multiple places about my childhood sexual abuse, a place where it puts me in a very vulnerable kind of place, I have had multiple people come up and say, thank you. I've been there too. Nobody talks about it. If you've gone through stillbirth, if you've gone through divorce, if you've gone through cancer, if you've gone through you name it, God uses those painful things for the purpose of His glory and our good. It's a way that God works in powerful, beautiful, magnificent kind of ways. God even used the suffering of Christ to bless us. It's how God works. So God is a compassionate, encouraging God. He, there is purpose in your suffering. But here's the last thing that we can cling to in the midst of our suffering. Suffering builds community. We like to approach other people, and I know it's true for me, we like to approach people from a position of strength. We like the, um, the facade of I have it all together. What can I offer you? Now what a facade that is. We like having it all together, and we love creating good impressions of just follow me. Look at how good my life is, or how great my marriage is. Look at how wonderful my kids are. Look how successful, successful my, my business is. Look at this. Look at my academic kind of prowess. Look at these things. Look at all these things. And as we're going to see in the coming, we even love and adore leaders who are strong and impressive and have some kind of strong platform. But what happens when we're not strong, and, and when we begin to share our sufferings rather than our strength, what happens? What happens is we start to build relationships. In verse 7, Paul says that as we share in his sufferings, they will also share in his comfort. Do you see the dance that is going on there? And in verse 11, he says, you also must help us. Help us by prayer. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. George Guthrie puts it this way. Through sharing with another person our pain, our limitations, or our needs and our hopes, we extend an offer. And here's the offer. Hear me. Embrace me. Walk with me. And allow me to walk with you in community. One of the most powerful things you can do to build relationships is being honest about your sufferings. Monsieur Day Church, we are not a pretty, clean-cut group. 
One of the things I love about us is that sometimes we're pretty sloppy and we're kind of messy. And that relationally, there, there's tight bonds because sometimes we'll see people crying, see people praying for other people. We'll, we'll, we'll meet with other people and meet with them in their pain. On uh, Friday, the rooms uh, traveled to Iowa, and as everybody was in their own uh, kind of podcast world or music world or Netflix world, I was listening to uh, a podcast uh, by a guy named... Um, Adam Young, and his podcast is called The Place We Find Ourselves, a Christian counselor, and he was interviewing a, a woman by the name of K.T. Ramsey, and K.T. Uh, has an autoimmune disease that has caused her pain, not just like a, a one on the scale of one to ten, but within an hour it can go from a one to a ten, constant, and it was when she was off to college at Covenant College where she started experiencing this when she was 20 years old. What kind of pain? It's the kind where when she was in college she would find herself hunched over shuffling across her school campus like a 90-year-old, barely able to walk, or doubled over in pain from chronic diarrhea, or she would be running to the bathroom every hour from persistent nausea or just being mentally fried from being in so much pain. And here's what she said about her weakness or her suffering and in community. She said this, sickness has an inelegant way of reversing relationships. And where I had previously played the role of comforter, I found myself learning the harder role of Recipient. Suffering, sickness, suffering, weakness has an inelegant way, it's kind of sloppy, an inelegant way of reversing relationships. And now she's finding herself in a place of receiving. Easy. It's easy to be in places of health, and strength, and stability. It's far more enjoyable to be in the place of the comfortor. It is, it is much preferable to be in a place of health, emotional, relational, marital, uh, your vocational health. All those things are good that we, we often put on a good face and we rot from the inside out when we do not Put ourselves in the hands of other people. Brothers and sisters, God, through the Apostle Paul, is saying, will you place yourself in the hands of your brothers and sisters? Will you be honest about your pain? Katie Ramsey continued to write in another one of her articles. She said this, Suffering internalized, in other words, kept there, suffering internalized is dark and heavy. But suffering shared engenders courage and hope. In those early years of illness, I gave up on my survival strategy of withdrawal and self-sufficiency 
by bringing my helplessness and grief into the open. As I shared my suffering with my friends, I found validation. The safe harbor of friendship gave me space to compassionately accept the pain, sorrow, and limitations sickness had introduced into my life. Honesty with others unlocked even more honesty with God. (laughs) And I found the cry of my heart was echoed by many of the psalmists. I learned to embrace my suffering as a provocative gift for others to begin receiving healing validation for their own pain. I love that. I learned that I learned to embrace my suffering as a provocative gift. <laughs> Have you ever thought about your suffering as a as a gift? No. Most of us go, I, I avoid it at every cost. But she's echoing what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's a provocative gift. So friends, hear this with this, this, this last thing. You are not enough. You are not meant to be an island to yourself. You were never intended to be sufficient to meet your own needs. God himself is a community of three in one. God created In the garden, a woman to walk alongside the man. God, in his sovereignty, created human sexuality to create more humans. Not to be alone, but to be together. And then God, in his sovereignty, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, created a family called the church. We're not an institution. We are a family that is meant to work together. So one of the primary ways that God heals, that God grows, that God transforms us is through the body. It is through the church. This family of brothers and sisters, my friend, is meant to be a gift from God. Will you open it up? Letting others into your pain is absolutely terrifying. Letting someone see you bawling over your brokenness is pretty much the definition of vulnerability. Finding friends who are safe enough to invite you into their vulnerable spaces is hard, and it is courageous work. But it is one of the most meaningful things, most meaningful works in your life with the highest payoff of peace and joy and wholeness. So what should we do when we suffer? We hold on to these things that that God is ultimately in his character. He is our encourager and he is our comforter. We hold on to the truth that even in this, I don't understand what's going on, God, but in this, I know that my suffering has a purpose. There's a plan for my suffering. God also in this, He has incorporated me into a family of other broken people. And I need to use 
this gift, this provocative gift of suffering to unlock and provide hope and peace. And I want you to imagine just for a moment, and maybe this is a great missional community thing, of how understanding suffering is even a gift to the lost and broken world around us. We embrace it. We embrace brokenness. So we find our wholeness in Christ. We know where our hope is found, even when we feel hopeless. We know where encouragement truly comes from. What a gift from God. Let's pray.